Thank you for being here this morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. If it's your first time, we are so delighted that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And we pray that you will be blessed and that uh, you'll get to know some of our family here at Grace. We've been in a series on family, uh, a place in the family. We've been doing this for a long time and we're about to wrap up in the next month or so. We will be concluding. Um, but thinking about family life, what is the best part of family life to you? Is it like a new birth? If you're in our household, it's all birthdays. Allison loves birthdays. And she makes them truly celebratory times. That's what she says, celebratory. Is that how you say it? Celebratory. Celebration. It's that just a little different. She's from Australia, if you're brand new. So just a few things we say different. You know, she'll say something, I'll say, what? I'll say something, she'll say, what? Do you mean such and such? And so, but, but they're great celebrations at our house for a birthday. Any birthday. I mean, there are banners, there's special meal, there are speeches. Everybody has to give a speech, and it's a wonderful part of family life. Maybe you just like any mealtime when everybody's together or game nights. That's not my favorite, but a lot of people love game nights. I would like to sit around and read theology. That would be my idea of a great family night. Um, Or Lord of the Rings, maybe. That would be good. Um, or, Or possibly bedtime. I mean, look, when you got young kids, don't you just love bedtime? It's just fun, isn't it? It's a great thing that is so fun. Oh, I know why you love bedtimes, because then you can get on with life. I, I see that. Uh, but, but you love just doing all the things, you know, and kids when they snuggle in, you know, and you're just standing there with them and praying with them, all of that. Good thing that's so good, because the next 30 minutes to an hour are going to be pretty tough, you know. I'm thirsty. I need some water. There's a monster outside my window and all kinds But don't wish those times away, young parents. They'll be gone soon enough. Whatever you would say is your favorite time of family life, I'm sure it's when everybody is together. Now the more difficult question. What is the worst thing about life in a family that is close? It's losing someone, isn't it? Death seems so unnatural, and while we could say, no, death is the most natural thing, that it's going to happen to every single one of us, God didn't create mankind with death as the inevitable end to life. Adam was created with original righteousness. We sang this morning about Jesus, the better, true and better Adam. See, Adam was created with righteousness, All of us have no choice. We have to sin. It's in our DNA. We have no choice. Adam did not have to sin. But when Adam and Eve chose to sin, then sin came upon, the curse of sin came upon all mankind and it was passed down from one generation to the next. Before they sinned, their default life, their default condition, I mean, was life. Last week from Ephesians 2, we talked about The default condition for us is condemnation. We're apart from God unless something happens to change that. Adam's default trajectory and condition was life until sin 
came in and changed that. And the consequences of Adam's sin are upon us forever. Death has been passed down and it comes to all. Still, it seems unnatural in, in, in some way. I mean, be honest. Haven't you at some point in your life felt like, you know, somehow I'm going to beat this. I mean, even to this day, I'm 61 years old and I see elderly people doing this and I'm thinking, I'm never going to be like that. I'll be that old, but I'm never going to be. But I will be. Now, maybe, you, you know, why is it that, that you have that idea that I, somehow I can beat this? Maybe it's because we live in the place and the time that we do. Look, if, if you keep up with news, there are a lot of people talking about living to 150 or 200 and even beyond. Right now, serious people, scientists saying it is possible. Maybe it's because we live when we do, or maybe... There's this innate understanding that we were not created to die. And there's something that just seems so wrong about it. We were created to live forever. There is quite a bit written about death in the New Testament. The reality that we all understand and we all know, regardless of how we have those little feelings like, you know, no. As Ricky said a couple of weeks ago, one out of one will die. 100 out of 100. You cannot get a number. We are all going to die. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, though, that Jesus conquered death. Like we talked about last week, he conquered death by death. So there is no more sting to the end of this life as we know it. The second Adam got right what the first Adam got wrong. It's like Jesus came and... Finally fulfilled what God's plan was all along. And so the sting of death has been removed. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that for believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in Philippians 1 and other places the same sort of sentiment. Paul said, look, I would rather, I'm in prison. I'd rather be executed by the Romans than to be freed and keep on living. Because then I could live with Christ And that is preferable. If I live, it will be for Christ. If I die, well, that's even better. But Paul was in prison. See, most of us don't like to think about death because life here is so good. And and we're not surrounded by death like our predecessors were. Those who went just two or three generations ago. Death came to every family, every Family was touched by losing a child or someone in the very near family. But now we're insulated, isolated from death. Hospice is a really good thing because it reminds us that this is a part of life. And even though God has taken the sting out of it, we don't like to think about death because life is so good. How could it get any better than this? Well, our text is going to answer that question today. Revelation 21 and 22. Before we get there, though, I, I want to recommend a couple of resources to you that I think will be quite helpful when you are faced with the end of life, and you will be, or someone who is very near to you dies or goes to meet the Lord, especially if it seems like 
an untimely death, someone who dies young or an accident takes. But I got to tell you, Norma Callahan will tell you, it's no easier in your 80s than it is in your 30s. We don't like to think about the end of life. A book that Allison and I read this summer and one we could not recommend more highly for every believer is called The Hardest Peace by Kara Tippett's, a minister's wife, PCA minister's wife and the mother of four. It's a beautiful testimony of salvation and the difficult of Kara's journey with cancer. Difficult story of Kara's journey with cancer. The reality or the knowledge that she died this past March in her 40s, four young children, uh, made it even more emotional. I read it mostly on the cruise. Allison had read it a little bit, and I just added salty tears to the, to the ocean water. It's a very deeply moving book, but... This book has so much profound truth in it that is good for every believer, not only for the hard times in life, but for daily walking in grace. Beautiful truth in this book. Write it down if you haven't written it down. Get your phone out quick. Put it down because we're moving on to one more uh, resource that I'm going to share, The Hardest Piece. And I will be calling each of you sometime in the next two months to see if you've read this book, okay? It's good for everybody. Second book I want to recommend is A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Auken. How many of you have read this book? This has been around for a while. Okay, a good number of you. Not, not a whole lot, but several of you have read this book. It's a powerful story of a romance, really. It's as beautiful a romance as you have ever read about, ever seen portrayed on film. But it was a romance without Jesus. In the last century, it was... Somewhere in the middle uh, part of the 20th century, this young man and woman fell in love and they pledged their love to one another as being the greatest love ever. And then they met Jesus and understood what real love was. But Davy, the, the wife, contracted a virus, a rare virus that attacked her liver and slowly she went down and died. This is a very poor description of a stunningly good book. If you've read the book, I doubt you would disagree with that level of high praise. And as added incentive for you to read this book, uh, there's a great deal of correspondence between Sheldon Van Auken and and C.S. Lewis. I think when Van Auken was considering Christianity, and there are at least ten letters in there from C.S. Lewis, private letters uh, that again, will inspire and encourage you. Reading both of these books together would be overwhelming. You wouldn't like me very much if you read both of them together. But I, so I would suggest the hardest piece first, but by all means, make plans to read both book, books. How does one prepare for the most difficult days of life? We all know that believers should die well. In fact, we should die differently than unbelievers. But how is it possible when death is perceived as the enemy, which surely it is. Death is the enemy, the ultimate defeat. 
I don't know if you've picked this up as you read through the Old Testament, but there's not a really fully developed theology about the afterlife in the Old Testament. And that's why so many really great people, David said over and over, Lord, don't let me go to the grave. How can I praise you in the grave? How can the dead praise you? By the time you get to the New Testament, though, there is far greater detail about heaven. Though apparently not enough to satisfy some as evidenced by the sales of books and movies recounting the experience of those who died for a time and found themselves For a brief time in heaven. You know one of the things that's characteristic about all of those people who spent time in heaven. There's very little said about seeing Jesus. I mean he's there but he's kind of like not the big deal. Everything in scripture shows us that Jesus is the big deal about heaven. We're going to see that in our text. So be... um, Careful to take your cues about heaven from Scripture. So if you say, well, what about this? This little guy saw this, or this person saw that. I don't know. All I know about heaven is what's in Scripture. That's what we know is reliable. And that's what we're about to do. Instead of talking about how to die well, though, we're going to consider the hope that belongs to all believers, the hope of eternal life. The rest of this message will come from Revelation 21 and 22. And it's going to anticipate what awaits us. And much of what I will say from this point on was gleaned from a message that Ricky Lee, Pastor Ricky and I heard at Gospel Coalition down in uh, March of this past year, excuse me, uh, April of this past year down in Orlando. Uh, Philip Graham Riken, who is the president of Wheaton College, shared at the very end of this entire conference that was anticipating what it's going to be like to be with the Lord forever. My goodness, uh, the songs that we sang this morning beautifully anticipate what it's going to be like. We don't think about heaven a lot. Again, maybe because we live in heaven, and so why think too much about what's to come, especially when we have to real when we realize we have to leave this life in order to be at that life. Um, So many theologians over the years, so many pastors, so many believers over the years have made it a point to meditate every day about heaven. And when our focus is on things to come, then it makes a difference on how we live in this life. So when I heard this message, I thought about what an encouragement these thoughts would be to our church body in a year when we have experienced so much loss. So many difficult diagnoses and radical, life-changing medical treatment. That's not even to say, what about the loss? There was something in my heart as we were singing this morning. It was just, it's funny how things do, but I just thought about relationships that, that aren't as good as they used to be. And that just is painful to me. You know, when I'm not as close to people as I as I used to be, or there's a rift, there's there's a break. There are so many reasons that this world can never satisfy us. So what Riken said was too good not to share with you. So you should know that some of this is going to be word for word. I rarely do that. I think I did it this time last year when I was sharing uh, thoughts from Sinclair Ferguson at a conference I'd been to. But 
If it's the case, I will always tell you. Um, but I, this message was, was that powerful and that meaningful to me. And I thought it would be for you as well. I think you would all agree. We would all agree that the book of Revelation is not the easiest book in the Bible. I mean, when I began to study this text, I thought, well, yeah, but that won't be so for Revelation 21, 22. We'll all agree on that, right? Uh, no, we don't. What everyone knows is true, though, is that the place described in the last two chapters of the Bible is a sanctuary for the, for the heart of every pilgrim who is longing for home. So, what is it that is broken in your world today that needs wholeness? Is it your body? Your mind? Your memory, your relationships, your job status, your mortgage that is about to get away from you. What is it that is broken in your life today that needs wholeness? What we're going to see is a picture of wholeness that is perfect. All of the main themes of scripture are here. Brought to their ultimate and perfect conclusion. There's covenant. There's atonement. Temple, kingdom, the Father, Son, and Spirit are here. Jesus is here in His prophetic and priestly and kingly office. Heaven and earth, sin and salvation, creation, consummation. All here. These last two chapters of the Bible are like the last movement of a symphony, of a great symphony. A satisfying conclusion to all. It's like the finale of the fireworks show or the last bite of dessert. At a delicious meal. All of these threads are bound together in the last two chapters of the Bible. It starts out one way, it ends the same way, but better, and all of the stuff in between, just like great stories. Any great story, Lord of the Rings, I mentioned a while ago, starts out in the Shire with that beautiful music, you know, in the movie. And then it ends in the Shire. But there are all kinds of disappointments and adventures in between. But all ends well as we read Revelation 21 verses, or 21, chapter, chapter 21, verse 1 through 22, verse 5. Typically we stand, but I want you to just remain seated this morning and just drink God's word in as we read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. By the way, is this an entirely new heaven and earth or a cleansing of the old Heaven and earth. I mean, God created it to begin with. Is it now made new or is it brand new? Well, there are a lot of questions about that. I tend to think that it's cleansed. It's not a brand new. There's a lot of symbolism even here at the end of Revelation. But either way, it really that doesn't impact our understanding of what will come. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See the mixed metaphors, the New Jerusalem is the bride. So uh, our understanding is not as full as we want. And maybe that's intentional as well, this intentional ambiguity in Scripture. Uh, 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. By the way, the one who conquers. The one who overcomes. You see a lot of that language in Revelation. 1 John 5, 4 or 5, I think it is. says, who is the one who overcomes but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That Jesus is the Christ. Believers are the ones who will overcome. And then verse 8. But as for the cowardly. The faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Which is the second death. That's not a popular doctrine these days. We believe it. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying... Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angles. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. A lot of detail in this description. On the east three gates. On the north three gates. On the south three gates. And on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And, then, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles Of the Lamb. See what an important. See how this ties to Ephesians 2. Where we were last week. About the foundation of the apostles. In the church. And how important their word was to God's plan. And his kingdom. And the one who spoke with me. Had a measuring rod of gold. To measure the city. And its gates and walls. And the one who spoke with me. Had a measuring rod of gold. To measure the city and its gates and walls. See how I did that? I repeated the same verse. I just had them in two different places there. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod. 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall. 144 cubits by human measurement. Which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, 
agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then chapter 22, the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing (laughs) from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, Encourage our hearts as we consider this great place that you are preparing for us. And may we be so heavenly minded that we become far of far more value to this earth. Speak to our hearts, comfort us, excite us with anticipation. And draw us to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, truly, this would be a good place to stop, wouldn't it? It feels like we've already been here a long time, but it's just going to take a little longer to, to think about this incredible place that God is, has prepared for us and is preparing for us. We're going to think about five categories of blessing that are associated with the hope that we have in eternal life through Jesus. This, this text doesn't tell us everything Uh, That we want to know about heaven. But it says more than enough to provoke a greater anticipation and excitement than the world could ever create in us. I'm looking forward to the the official start of football season. It's nothing. No matter what. You're looking forward to a marriage. You know, to a honeymoon. You're looking forward to kids. You're looking forward to all kinds of things. None of that compares to what God tells us about what life is going to be like with him. So I want to encourage you to note some of these main points. We're not going to spend a lot of time on uh, about three of them. So you can later meditate with profit on God's design. His design for you if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
It's difficult to think about the blessings of heaven again when it's so good here. But the day's going to come for each of us when heaven looks better and better all the time. Hopefully that's going to be true by the time we leave here this morning. The first blessing is creation restored. You know, when you read Revelation 21 and 22, your tendency is to think, wow! Who could even imagine such a place? There's never been a place like this. This is amazing. But even as the thought forms in your mind, it's kind of like, but wait a minute. It's like coming back home to a place you've never been before, as John Denver sang about the Colorado Rocky Mountains. Or it's like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young singing, we've got to get back to the garden, the garden being Woodstock. And I wish I had something A little more contemporary, but I got nothing, you know. So I'm sure there's songs out there, but, you know, I mean, those guys would have to have breathing machine oxygen if they were going to sing those songs today. I mean, uh, but, but I'm sure because it is the cry of the heart. When you begin reading Revelation 21, you get a sense of deja vu. I mean, verse 1 of Revelation 21 brings Genesis 1-1 to mind. God created the heavens and the earth. Now there's a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 2, we have a bride and a groom. Verse 3, God makes his dwelling place with man in the same way that in the Garden of Eden, the Lord would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. Then in chapter 22, verse 1, we find a river flowing from the throne of God and running through the middle of the street. Also in the city, a tree of life. When that day comes that we are with the Lord in heaven, we're, gonna, we're not going to feel like we're in the wrong place. We're going to know that we're home. This is the place God designed for us. As great as heaven is for those who are there now, and it is as good as you could possibly want it to be. There is more to come when this day arrives. And all of the promises given in these two chapters are fully realized. This is where we belong. It's the cry of our hearts, and we will be satisfied. It's the character of God. God who always finishes what he begins. The character of God is very much on display in these two chapters. You're thinking, man, my life just went so wrong. God will finish what he has begun. He will complete the good work that he has begun in you in Jesus Christ. While so much seems to go so wrong now, now, it will not be that way at all then. We'll find not only that creation has been restored, but we'll also find that the curse (coughs) has been reversed. How long has it been since you uh, needed to be reminded that you are not currently living in paradise? Uh, Maybe it was this morning. Satan seems to be particularly active in homes on Sunday mornings, you know, before church. Not so in our home this morning. Beautiful breakfast made. Pippa Rader staying with us, by the way. Pippa, uh, who's the daughter of Mike Rader, we just started supporting recently, was with us this morning. And we had a lovely time together. But you know how it is on Sunday morning sometimes on the way to church. And you're thinking, you know, 
we're going to church and you're acting like that. You're acting like that. You know, it's always the other person's fault. Look, we, we all have the same address, which is somewhere east of Eden. We're not in the garden anymore. Everything that is wrong in our world, sickness, racial strife, war, abuse, poverty, they're all the result of the curse. Yet when we arrive in Revelation 21 and 22, we find that the curse has been overcome. No more curse. All through the Old Testament, God is pictured as the husband of his people. Israel was, so, was unfaithful at such levels that in Jeremiah 3.8, God wrote Israel a certificate of divorce. In Hosea, God told Hosea the prophet, marry a prostitute named Gomer. And by the way, she's going to be unfaithful to you over and over and over again. And this is going to be a clear picture for everybody to see. Because people knew that prophets were given a, delivering a message from God. And, and God said, I want to give them a clear picture of how they're treating me. Tim Keller said, here is God stuck in the longest bad marriage in history. Yet in Revelation, there is a spectacular wedding. And the groom has paid the dowry with his own blood. If you arrive in heaven with fresh tears of the suffering that you've endured in this life, the Lord will be there with his handkerchief to gently wipe away your tears. No more tears. I mean, here is a promise we can hardly imagine. No more pain, no more death. We will live eternally with Jesus. And maybe one of the best things about heaven is it will be done with our own flesh, with our own sin. Verse 8, by the way, talks about the kinds of people who will not be there. And it's a terrifying verse. But it's given in grace. As the Lord says, repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior. That is what qualifies you. Not by cleaning up your act, but by trusting the one who died to pay for your sins. Last week we talked about Johnny Erickson Tata. By the way, correction, she wasn't face down on the bottom of the lake, but she was face down floating in the water when her sister saw her blonde peroxided hair and came and, and rescued her after she had been paralyzed. If you weren't here last week, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. If you don't know Johnny Erickson Tata, at 17 she dove into the Chesapeake Bay from a platform that was in relatively shallow water. And her head hit the rocks and, and, and she floated to the top. But she had that peroxided hair. And her sister, who was walking away, was bitten by a crab and went to warn her sister about the crabs and saw her floating and rescued her. She's been paralyzed for 48 Years And here's what she said when thinking about the full life that will one day be hers in heaven. Quote, I can't wait to be clothed in righteousness without a trace of sin. Yes, it will be wonderful to stand and reach for the sky. But it will be more wonderful, wonderful to offer praise that is pure. I won't be crippled by distractions. Disabled by insincerity. Handicapped by a ho-hum half-heartedness. No, my joy will join with yours. 
and we will bubble over with effervescent adoration, finally able fully to worship with the Father and the Son. For me, this is the best part of heaven. That's something if it comes from you. It's really something if it comes from 48 years of quadriplegic. Not only will heaven be a place where no sin exists, but there will be full satisfaction. Like the psalmist, we cry out, my soul thirsts for the living God. In heaven, there is a river, a full river to satisfy your thirst. And speaking of peace, even though the nations are at war, In our time, that day will begin the everlasting healing and peace of the nations. There will be no vote on a treaty with Iran. Because there will be no need for any treaty anywhere. The nations will join together in peace and praise and adoration for our Savior. In addition to creation being restored and sin's curse being reversed, we will find salvation consummated. This life, not not just this natural life, but this spiritual life is full of starts and stops. We're saved and all of our focus is on Jesus. And then we're distracted by the flesh. And then one day he reminds us that we belong to him, his grace Pulls us back to him. And that happens. Look it happens many times. During the day. In heaven there is no going backwards. Only forward. The word new. Is used several times. Not I will make all new things. But rather I will make all things. New. We enjoy. Glimpses and tastes of heaven now. But everything on that day will be taken to its highest level. The bride is perfect. The water is free. And the relationship is intimate and without interruption. We have our inheritance. It's ours. And it's a city of great beauty. Of precious metals and gems. It's paradise. It's what we've always longed for. There's no temple in this place. No need for a mediating structure because the whole place is a sanctuary. It's filled with the light of His presence and with the splendor of His glory. Which leads to the fourth point. It will, we will find Christ crowned and glorified. This is my concern about so many of the books that we read about heaven today. These chapters are not about the place, but rather about the person. At the center of it all is the person of Jesus Christ with His presence making heaven, heaven. He's everywhere in these two chapters. He's the husband waiting to see the beauty of his bride. He is the voice speaking from the throne. He's the comforter with the Spirit, with the Father as the recreator. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal and the everlasting God. He's the living water. He's the temple. He's the lamb. He's the light. He's the lamp. He's the life of the city. Everything that is bright and beautiful in the everlasting city of God shines with the radiant glory of Jesus Christ. That's what heaven is. And since Jesus will never lay aside his human nature, we will see the earthly body of Jesus that was born of Mary, grew into a man, 
crucified for our sins, resurrected for our justification. And while our bodies will then be perfect, they will bar, bear no scars of the consequences of sin. Jesus' body will bear the scars that bought our redemption throughout eternity. We'll see the nails. We'll see the scars on Jesus and it will be glorious. The last point. Glory will have just begun. In this life we say all good things must come to an end. I mean, isn't it so often the case you can't even enjoy what, you're, what is before you because you know it's going to come to an end? Your kids come home for the weekend. You go on vacation. You know, <clears throat> football season starts and then sure the world baseball's here again. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, baseball fans. Whatever it is, look, the people in this place, they don't know anything about that. They don't know anything about it. Never is it going to cross our mind. Well, you know, it's nice, but it's not part of it. The people of God will only see perfection in their future. So as the people of God who reflect on the truth about our eternal home, what can our response possibly be other than amen? Even so, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we have suffered much this last year. And we know from your word that suffering is a part of your plan for us. And it's a good part of your plan. We, we don't tend to think of it that way. But everything that comes from the hand of God is good and a blessing. And especially when suffering causes us to see your plan in its full. And to know that our hope is not in this world, not in this life. Not in anything that we cling to for security and for satisfaction and for meaning it's all truly wrapped up in Jesus not anything here we thank you for giving us one another as you have as we together in this covenant community of God anticipate eternity with you and as we sing your praises even now and as we recognize your hand in our midst, we have to confess it is beyond our ability to comprehend. We have to confess that it is amazing. <laughs>